Welcome to the Airflow Podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Thomas, and this is the place where Kingdom Heirs go to be informed and inspired. So sit back, relax, and flow with me. Welcome back to another episode of the Airflow Podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Thomas. And today, my special guest is Dr. Tanya McCoy. Uh, Dr. McCoy is the owner operator of a new you counseling center. Over 20 years of experience in counseling, uh, she received her doctoral degree from the only TSU that matters, Tennessee State University. Uh, so welcome, Dr. McCoy, to the, the Airflow Podcast. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be joining you on today. I definitely appreciate it. You know, one of the reasons why I had a desire to bring you on is um, my belief is that you really can't experience true prosperity uh, when your mental health is compromised. And so I think it's very important to have a discussion, not only talk about, you know, because I want to talk about, you know, your journey, but I want to talk about mental health because I think there's still a lot of misconceptions out there about, you know, why it's good to, to talk through some of this stuff and have somebody who is a professional do this. Um, outside of the church. And, you know, I know a lot of times people talk about their pastors and certain people within the church doing that. Um, and it's good to get that viewpoint, but, you know, having somebody, God gives everybody the gives doctors, these talents to be able to do this. So it's good to have that professional counseling, but that was one of the reasons why I really wanted to bring you on. Uh, Cause I think it's going to be very helpful for the listeners and, and hopefully it kind of tears down some of those negative stereotypes about going to uh, going to get counseling and seeing, seeking professional help. So I uh, appreciate you coming on. Oh, yes. Great. I'm excited that you're doing this because this is how we get the information out there. We got to continue to open up dialogue and continue in conversations because otherwise we will continue with all the myths that we have about getting help. Yes, ma'am. Counseling. Yes, yes ma'am. Okay. So I mentioned, you know, you've been doing this, you know, over 20 years of experience in counseling. You're also an ordained minister. Um, and, and one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, do you see kind of a, is there sort of a line that you draw between your ministry and your being ordained as a minister and kind of your following there versus uh, being a counselor? Do you, do you see there's a correlation or is there sometimes a conflict between the two? Oh, no, actually, you know, they kind of work hand in hand, if we think about it, um, because a lot of times people that are in a ministerial role, um, they're doing some type of counseling, right? Counseling means to get help or to assist. And so I think the skills build on each other. You know, there are times when people come to me and because I understand faith. Now, sometimes that we share the same faith mm-hmm. and sometimes we do not. And that's OK, because I can kind of understand what is it that they're they're talking about and now there's a lot of people who really want to have their faith incorporated in counseling so i think that gives me you know additional insight being able to you know be licensed as a minister but um but also well as an associate minister let me clarify that but then also um be able to use my clinical skills as well okay so a little bit about you, obviously you, you're a mother of three, is it three, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Mother of three, grandmother as well. I know. Whew. Don't even that look That surprises like me every day. 
So you are good. Do you prefer grandma? Do you have like a little oh, turn that you oh. want to be got? Yes, it's Gigi. Gigi. Oh. Okay, you're Gigi. <laughs> I love that. I know I know a lot of mother mothers who become grandmothers are like, I'm too young and, and fabulous to be called grandma. I want to be called granny. So Gigi is always the one. Um so going in from motherhood, obviously doing this for a while, you know, what was that desire for you to sort of get into this this profession? What sparked that for you? You know, it's so interesting. And it's actually uh one of the questions that I love answering because it's so different. You know, my background is engineering. Okay. I was I was in engineering and I had a best friend and I was working with her. Um, well, I was working with a mutual friend of ours about an issue that had came up and my friend had stated to me, hey, you're pretty good at this. You ever thought about counseling? And I was like, what's that? <laughs> and so <laughs> she knew more about it than I did. And uh, I remember contacting the boards to see, because they said, if you could use your personal experience and if you could pass the test, you know, you could be kind of grandfathered in. When that test came, I was like, oh my goodness, I don't even know what this is. It was like a, a, was a maybe a test or a template, test template. Mm -hmm. so I had to go back to school, but that's how I got into counseling. I had no idea what the career was about. Um, hadn't researched it. I had always wanted to be an educator mm. until I got into engineering because I love math. You know, okay. I, I love solving problems. I mean, I would stay up to the wee hours of the night. So I was, a, you know, a STEM baby, I call it. I, I love to solve problems. Math was my thing and did not know what counseling was until my friend had mentioned that. And, and that's good because that there's a correlation, obviously, with math, like you said, just solving a lot of problems. But in counseling, you're helping people solve the problems or unlock different mysteries and things. So in, in their lives, so you know it, it kind of goes hand in hand. And you won't most people won't think about it like that because engineering is so black and white. It's so factual. It's so you know, you know, thinking logically and you know, matter of fact. And so it, it's it's good. It, it's kind of refreshing to hear that and kind of think from that way. So you go from being this person that was big with math and numbers and solving problems to helping people unravel the problems in their lives and, and, and kind of get through that and push their lives forward. So that's pretty good. That's, that's exactly. a good, that's a good change. It is this exactly is how I explain it to people. Cause they sometimes don't see the correlation, but you grasped it right away. So that's impressive. And you know, the part that's very interesting um, is that when I first got started, I was trying to solve it all in one session. Of course mm. I had to just <laughs> had to kind of calm down and right. just, you know, simmer or whatever now, but yeah, definitely the same kind of skills that I used in engineer transferable into um, the counseling. It's interesting. You said that about trying to solve it all in one session, because, you know, my background is started with engineering and went to computer science. So I understand trying to pull everything together and like want to get it done and not have anything linger. So how do you get to when you're, when you're with a client, how do you get to a place where you feel like, okay, we can stop right here because you're starting to unravel things and things are starting to go. And he's like, Oh, we got to stop. Like, how, how do you do that? Yeah, that's really kind of interesting because, you know, right now my sessions are 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so I have to pay attention to the clock. And, you know, a lot of times people, they, they may not feel led to share something to like the end of session, like the last 10 minutes. And then it's like this big item. And it's right. like, oh my goodness, we <laughs> can't unravel that. Yeah. But it all depends on, you know, where they are. Um, 
because a lot of times people are coming that's the first time they've actually been heard so I try not to say oh we'll talk about that next week so sometimes mm. I have gone over the time frame I try not to do that often because then I have someone else's right next you know uh coming up but I think the way I balance that is really dependent on you know first looking at the urgency of it is it something that I really need to talk about or is that something I'll say you know what this is really important and I think it is and I may add let me make a note of this and when we come back next week let's talk about it and then it's going to bring up some thoughts for you Mm -hmm. so maybe you can make note of it as well and then we come back and see and so that's kind of how I do that but it all depends but that's that's one of the ways that I kind of you know, manage that moment or manage that time. Okay. And you mentioned, you know, sometimes it takes people a while, a while to get, to to get comfortable with mentioning things. And, you know, I want to touch upon that a little bit because it it seems like it's always difficult to even get people to come into these sessions. Why do you think there's so, why do you think it's so difficult for people to find, to, to get to a place where they feel okay with at least coming to get counseling? Oh, man, that's the magical question right there, right? There's so many facets uh, facets to that. One is that people just not sure what to expect. You know, it's not something that's been common. Well, it's more common now because of the pandemic. Mm. But a lot of times people didn't know. They thought, you know, from TV, they were going to lay on a couch and somebody was going to go just take them back to their childhood and say how bad their parents was. Right. reason why and it's really not like that so we have this this misconception about what therapy looks like and then the other part is that it's really not talked about you know a lot of times you think in faith-based communities um you don't tell everybody your business you know Mm. what's in the house stays in the house so people are dealing with that and I think the other part of it is that people look for people that people look for therapists who can relate to them and so we haven't had a lot of people of color in the in the field. I mean, we're seeing more of that now, but from a uh, statistical purpose, there's really not a lot. And so, um, and that plays a part. So they want to make sure that when they go in and they talk about situations, that the person that they're talking to can understand them. Right. Now, even though we tell our clients, we may not experience exactly the same thing that you've gone through, but we've experienced something enough that we something similar that we can draw from. We may have felt the same way. We may have thought the same things. It may not have been about a particular uh, similar event, but we can all pull we're trained to pull that together in order that we can hear them and kind of relate. And then also that helps us know what questions to ask and what things to look for. Yeah. And I guess just with you saying that, I never thought or put much thought into the the idea that, you know, based off of faith-based community and, and even the African-American community, you know, it was always kind of taboo to tell people your problems, you know, that's outside of the family or outside of the house So, you know, it's almost like that may lend to why you don't see as many people of color inside of this career path. I mean, I know it's growing a little bit more and more, but that that could be why, you know, just because it's it's traditionally kind of ingrained in us like, hey, you keep your problems inside the family or to yourself or, you know, take it to the Lord, you know, and, and, you know, he will solve all those problems and he can and he will. But you know, sometimes he puts people in your path or, you know, he guides you to go get counseling from the right person that can help unlock those things. So um, that's that's good. That's good that that you're able that you look at it from the state of, you know, being able to relate. 
um, with experience, but not necessarily experience the same things, but relate to them. So you could pull it together because I think that's important to be able to help people kind of piece together their thoughts and, and figure out kind of this is where the root of the problem is. Um, and, I, and I think that's where a lot of people don't understand the, the, the good part about it. Sometimes it doesn't have to be a big, serious issue. It can just be you having problems getting, gathering your thoughts and having problems concentrating. You can't figure out where that is. Um, it doesn't have to be something that's just so terrible in your life. But uh, from what I've learned and read about, you know, a lot of counselors, they, they don't just have to deal with grief and just bad things. It can just be, you know, I just need help. I'm, I'm not thinking clearly. I don't know what it is. And you may uncover some things that you just never thought about. And that's where a, a good counselor can help get you through that. So most uh, indeed, because I think you're, that's another reason why people don't come because they don't understand what you can accomplish in therapy. Most time when people say a therapist or go to a counselor, they think about, you know, they've got these diagnoses, these like, you know, personality disorders or right. bipolar, and they're like, I don't have that. But like, just like you're saying, mental health covers everything, anything that deals with your overall thinking or uh, your emotions or even your actions or behaviors, if they're somewhat impaired. So, right, if you're, you've got goals and you're having a difficult time achieving your goals, yeah, definitely go to therapists and can do exactly what you stated, help you unlock maybe what are the barriers, what are the stuck points to help you move forward. And a lot of people don't think about that, you know, relationship with your family. Um, that's also a reason that you can see therapy. So it's not just what we think about, quote unquote, the serious mental health issue. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just life's issues. I think right. you know, if you're having difficulty adjusting with life at work or whatever it is, then those issues can be helped. And I think you, you mentioned just trying to understand why you can't reach certain goals in life or, you know, you've written out these goals and you've kind of got this plan and you're just having struggles getting to that place. I don't think a lot of people think about going to a counselor and seeking therapy for that. You know, I, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking about it now and I never really looked at it from that perspective, you know, looking at, okay, I've got these goals in life. And, you know, I just, I'm having trouble with this goal. I'm going to go to a therapist and try to figure out why, you know, it's always, you know, whatever the situation is, it's never, you never look at therapy. You look at other avenues to, to try to figure out where that is. So that, that's actually interesting. So, you know, knowing that goal setting is a big part of being a kingdom heir, you know, you have goals, you have, you know, things that you want to accomplish and that you're supposed to accomplish, you know, for those people who are having trouble reaching the goals, you know, understand that therapy is a good way to to help bring that stuff together, figure out where you're getting stuck and then figure out ways to get around that and having somebody who can help you do that. So, uh, you know, it's almost like a, you're, you're, you're a coach as well. Exactly. I mean, your coach and also thinking about your friends. A lot of times we talk to our friends about the things that we're having difficulties with or challenges with. And they listen. They provide advice. It's just that their advice may be somewhat biased, you mm -hmm. know, or you may not share it in, in its, uh, the information, you know, um, entirely because you may be concerned about them casting judgment on you. So right. you don't want to think differently of you. But so we're used to getting help or coaching from other people and how to do it, you know, um, but just working with the therapist or counselors that that person has your, um, you have their undivided attention and there's a space for you to meet with them. Mostly starting off as weekly. 
Some people do different variations of that, but you know, that is your time for you to focus on all that you want to focus on at that time. You don't have to worry about them distracting, um, being distracted by other things. But the most important thing is that it is confidential. Right. So we're bound by HIPAA to that the information that you share, unless there's there are things that we do have to report because we are mandated reporters for uh, items, you know, abuse and uh, neglect and things of that nature. Right. Um, but other than that, you know, we're bound by HIPAA to maintain that information. And so. Yeah, I think confidentiality is 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 definitely a big factor to why people may think like, well, I may see this person out on the street somewhere and they be, may be looking at me crazy like, oh, that's the person that told me all of this. So, you know, I, I can I can see where some people have never gone and they're already skeptical about talking to anyone about their whatever the situation is. You know, they can feel a little bit about some kind of way about that. But I, I definitely read that, you know, there are laws and things that that pre- that prevent counselors from sharing information. Um, even with minors, there are certain things that can't be shared with parents. Um, and so, you know, unless it's detrimental to the the physical well-being of that child or, you know, that person. So like you said, you know, there, there are certain things that you have to report, uh, which is good, you know, because it helps to make sure that balance is there. So you're not dealing with people who are potentially suicidal and things like that. Uh, so it's good to know that that, you know, you you have you protect their interest, you know, all around, uh, whether they yes. want you to or not. But, you know, you're, you're protecting them across the board. That's right. OK. One of the things and, and I hear these terms kind of thrown around and sometimes they're thrown around together. But I think there is some separation between them. Can you explain what's the what's the difference between a counselor, a psychologist and a psychiatrist? Oh, Yeah those get confused often. I'll start with the counselor and the psychologist. Okay. I typically, these terms, when I, uh, they're usually mandated by the state. And what I mean by that is that they require a license. So no one can really call themselves a counselor unless they're licensed, okay. especially in the state of Tennessee where I'm at. So, and a counselor typically is someone that has, uh, for, the way it stands today has a master's level license to practice independently in the state. And what that means is that they don't have to have supervision. And so these persons that most of have a master's degree in it, they've gone through some training, some uh, practicum experiences, had some testing and they passed the boards and they're not licensed. A psychologist is a PhD level. So they've undergone additional training so they are usually more experienced to deal with a very uh, more variety of issues as well as testing. So if you need testing or assessments done, typically that's going to be done through a psychologist because that type of uh, work is protected by that that field. Okay. So and they go through a more intensive uh, internship training, almost like a residency program, similar to what medical doctors go through. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's another term that's protect, protected by the state. So you can't just call yourself a psychologist unless you are licensed uh, by the state to call yourself that. So that is a protective term as well. The psychiatrist is along the medical field. So those are the persons who actually have a medical degree. They just specialize in behavior medicine yeah. or psychotropic medication. Okay. So those persons, while their specialty is medicine, is mostly medicine dealing with mental health issues. Now, some of them may do a little therapy, a little counseling, but if it's something 
uh, long term, they're going to they're going to refer you to the psychologist or a counselor to address the mental health issues. They're going to utilize the medicine in order to kind of provide some stabilization. And it, it, and a lot of times people don't like the word. Oh gosh, I got to get meds from a, a psychiatrist. But I tell them to look at it just like you would from a medical doctor. Sometimes you need medication to kind of help stabilize you until you're able to make the behavior changes that you need. We think about diabetes, right? The medicine mm-hmm. for that insulin. Some people use that, but until they change their behaviors, their lifestyle, exercise, and things like that, they can eventually come off the medication. Same thing with psychotropic medications. But then there are some medications that you may have to take for a long time. And think about it, in the medical, you know, that might be someone who has uh, maybe... Um, uh, heart issues or uh, lung issues, or let's say they may have had a lung transplant, so they have to maintain a certain me- uh, medication. Well, there's right. some people like in uh, mental health that have to take those psychotropic medications, you know, for a longer period of time and maybe even for life. And so that's one way I try to explain it to people so that they can understand the difference. Okay. And that, that makes total sense. So you're licensed as a counselor and a psychologist, correct? Yes, I'm licensed as both. Yes. So do you work, let's say you have, you know, patients that you, you are dealing with and you do you refer them to psychiatrists in certain points if you feel like they need that or do they have to go through a different route to potentially get to a psychiatrist? Yes, definitely. I do. And, you know, we there's kind of a collaborative approach now between the primary care physician the psychologist or counselor and a psychiatrist, because a lot of times you need that trifold, you know, um, pr- provider services in order to become the best person or to help you uh, address that issue. And so definitely I would refer them to psychiatrists. I also encourage them to contact their insurance companies as well, uh, because I don't know every psychiatrist and right, I don't know right. all the different areas. And so, and I try to at least give them three, uh, three names or three organizations that they can get the medication um, addressed. But yeah, there's certain things that I look at when I'm working with people. There's some smaller assessments that I do that help me guide based on what those assessments show, as well as what the individuals may state, I may refer to medication. And a lot of times there are people who are doing both. And sometimes they're, they're, they're uh, being prescribed medication uh, as well as working with me um, for the behavior health, the behavior part of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so all the, you know, we think about it, it's just, we have to address a lot of times, you know, the physical health, the mental health and the emotional health all together so that people can work through whatever it is that they need to work through. Yeah. And that's good. Cause I think some people, they, they think that they, they forget about the part that sometimes medication is, is needed. And like you said, it, it doesn't have to be forever, you know, but as the person is working through whatever challenges that they have, you know, the, the medication is there to kind of help with the whole, like you said, it's a, it's kind of a holistic approach across the board to say, we've got, we're taking care of it from the primary physician, the psychologist and the psychiatrist to make sure that we're getting everything uh, dealt with in, in the right way. So that's good that there is collaboration there. And, and, you know, so this is good for, you know, for, for people to understand that, you know, sometimes it's, it's not just about, the, the the counseling sessions and psych and going to a psychologist you may have to look at other avenues but when you have a good team of people around you they can help to foster those decisions in the right way so you're getting the, the right treatment because 
like you said, you can go to counseling sessions so many times and it, it, it may not have much of an impact because there's something that is of a medical state that's preventing or blocking that person from being able to receive what they need to receive from the counseling session. So, um, and I'm sure you've, you've seen that happen several times, you know, over your career is, is, is kind of that, that, that extra step to kind of help that person get through and break through what they're dealing with, you know, whether it's depression and, and things like that, you know, you can talk about it, but there's still something that's missing to help, help really that, that counseling session kind of go over the top. And, and sometimes it's a little bit of medication to get to that point. So. Oh, most definitely. And the other part of it as well is that a lot of times I do refer people if they haven't had a physical, a complete physical within a year, I refer them to their primary care because there are some medical conditions that can look like, you know, depression or mental health issues. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that, you know, we're treating the right thing. Um, so definitely it's, it's a, uh, and I think that's really good that we have that, um, sense of care yeah. that the providers are working together such that it is you, you see more of an interdisciplinary type of treatment approach now where everyone realized that if we are if we're looking at it from all perspectives it's just going to be overall better for the uh, person yeah and and you know you mentioned it's funny you mentioned a little bit about that because i was going to ask you this a little bit later on but you know i'll ask you now I was reading something, um, just doing some research, and and I saw that you know there were people that were basically saying that if you address mental health properly and do what you're supposed to do, addressing your mental health, it can actually improve your physical health and, and save you money from a lot of the physical conditions that take place in your body. Um, do you believe that? Almost definitely, because if we think about stress, if we just look at stress, a lot of times people, unmanaged stress can result in a lot of physical issues. People can have, you know, heart issues, heart attacks, strokes. It can also result in um, upper GI issues as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it can manifest in um, uh, skin conditions. I know some people have had that as well. And so, Yes, definitely not addressing mental health issues can also bleed into uh, physical health issues. That's why you see a lot of primary care physicians now, they will ask you about depression and stress, yes. relationships and things as well, because those things do impact and uh, can impact, impact severely. Yeah, I know just taking, you know, we take our kids to their, you know, their physicals each year. And I know the doctor, they ask a lot of questions about then they, they ask about depression, are you having good relationships with peers and things like that? I mean, they ask a lot of those questions. And for a while, I used to wonder, like, why is he asking that, you know, they're just here for a physical, but you know, understanding now that that from my perspective, and it, you know, sounds like you agree with that, you know, attacking your any mental health issues can help prevent a lot of those or, or come to find out what the root of the physical issues are. So, um, and I, and I, and I know that cause I've done, you know, the podcast previously I've done about fear and just how fear can impact, you know, your life and bring about stress and just how it works through your physical body. It was just interesting learning about that and just understanding that, you know, mental health is just as important and can prevent, a lot of the things like even some cancers forming, you know, because of just overly stressing yourself out and your body just not being able to work the way it was designed to work because your brain is just functioning, you know, totally off base. So uh, that, that's definitely good. That, that's good to hear. And, um, you know, again, these are good nuggets because I think a lot of people 
don't sometimes they don't equate that with why they're having that even even eating disorders or um you know gaining weight you know some people are emotional eaters or you know they do things like that instead of attacking the problem they're like okay well i gotta lose weight and they go on these big diets and these big regiments but the main thing that they needed to do was attack the mental issue that they have and, and get to the root of that figure that out and then they would get out of the habits that they had from from eating so you know people and a lot of people don't look at that now I, I watched the show uh probably about a year ago and that was one of the biggest things is that they said before we start any kind of plan for your health in terms of working out and things like that we have to get you to a psychologist. We have to figure out what started you down this path to get to, to gaining weight because it doesn't, you just don't start eating yourself into a place like that. Exactly. And if it's not, if you don't understand, you know, the root cause, what happens is that you're more than likely going to repeat the same behaviors again. So right. whatever change you make is only temporal. And so, and it's not sustainable because you'll go back if you don't understand yeah, your thoughts, your emotions that led to, you um, get to that place in the first place where food had become a comfort for you more so than dealing with issues and that's the part that people think you know when they're dealing with a lot of life issues they think they're handling it because they're ignoring it but that's not healthy either and so you know you by ignoring it you're not addressing it and sometimes it lies dormant but it builds up over time and then we see people with anger issues um, and they stay in this perpetual state of being this highly aroused person, especially when they're dealing with anger. Mm. And that, and our bodies were not designed to take that stress for that long period of time. Right. It was designed, you know, for a short moment for if you have to defend yourself, but right. not a fight to or flight. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and, and and I think again, that's why you know. I know we hear people, I've heard the term being thrown out more and more now so than ever, just from people who are not in the military, but they've just dealt with, you know, violence in the street or just around violent areas. And they, and they talk about people suffering from PTSD, uh, you know, just because of the, they're basically in it's the same kind of conditions, you know, they're always having to be in survival mode. Yes. Um, and, and having to do that, like you said, we're not designed to be in that mode for a long time. So when you're always in that mode, it, it totally changes who you are as a person. Um, and you're always wired up, you're always easily triggered. And, and, you know, again, you got to have a way to decompress. And, and that's where, you know, having counseling sessions, you know, talking to a counselor, a psychologist, and possibly even going through to a psychiatrist and getting something to help you know, take off the edge a little bit from that, um, because a lot of people are self-medicating in the wrong way. Um, and, and of course, that's never good. So you talk about drugs, alcohol, you talk about eating, there's sexual thing. I mean, there's all kinds of things to try to to curve the the pain, but, you know, you never get to that place. And, and that's where, you know, somebody who's licensed in this field can really help with that. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, one of the things I know, and I've, I've always wondered this, you know, you being a, a psychologist and, and doing this for a while is how do you really separate, you know, personal life, especially if you've had some of the same experiences as, as, as experiences as some of your clients, how do you separate personal and your professional life, you know, being doing this and you've been doing this for as long as you have? Because that seems to be, to me, that seems like it's difficult if I have something going on at home. And it's one thing if you're an engineer and you've got something going on at home and you got to, you know, I got to focus on this task at work to get this this project done. And, you know, it's not really related, but, you know, 
but if for you as a, you know, if you got something personally going on, it's like, okay, I got to deal with this, you know, at home, but then I got to go in here and hear somebody else tell me about something that's pretty much the same. Like, how do you separate those two? Oh yeah. Excellent question. Because, you know, that does happen and it's happened to me. Um, and one of the things is I have a strong support network, right? So I have people that I can confide in about things, but when some one of my clients issues is triggering me, mm. um, I, I, I have a therapist as well. So therapists do have therapists. And that was one of the things we were trained in the program that I, um, my master's program is that we need to make sure that whatever happens or going on with us, that we can make sure that when we're working with our clients, we're doing so with a very objective eye. And there are going to be times when their issues are going to trigger us. Mm. And we have to make sure that we're not responding to them out of our pain. Right. And so in order to do that, you know, we have therapists as well. And so, and I've had, I had that occur with me before. And definitely I uh, worked with a therapist to work through my issue, what my stuff, so that my stuff would not come into the session and that I could be very attentive to my client. And that's one way of doing that. The other way of doing that is that, you know, I have to, I have clear boundaries about, you know, things that, um, that I talk about in session, things I don't talk about with session, but then I also know me well enough. I've gone through processes of introspection and reflection such that I know when um, I'm not the best me. And mm. when I'm not the best me, I have to make sure I go and do the things that help me to be my best self. Right. And that's good because you're not putting, you're not putting yourself in harm's way. You're not and also hurting the client because, you know, if, if you're not in at your best, you know, you can cause that client to spiral out of control even more if, you know, you're you're getting triggered and then you're cloudy and with with your thought process and then they can't get through their process. So uh, that that's good. I mean, and, and for me, like I said, outside looking in, that just seems to be very challenging to to deal with on a day to day basis, especially when you've got, you know, you may have four or five clients lined up back to back to back and, you know, you got this thing going on over here. Do you ever just have to reschedule at times to say, you know what, I need to, I'm being triggered right now. I need to shift some things so I can get myself back in line and then come back in and, and, and reschedule it. So everybody's on a good, on a good path. Do you ever do that? I've rescheduled, but I, if I, if I meet with them, I'm not going to reschedule in the moment. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. So if, if it's the day and I feel like, oh my goodness, yeah, this is just a bit much or something happens if the anniversary date. Cause you know, you kind of know about the, uh, many may know, some don't know the death of my son. And so his birthday and things of that nature, I know those are dates for me that I'm since so I don't schedule anybody those dates. Um, but but in session, right, I've been in sessions and I had no idea that some of my clients were dealing with the death of a child. And there was a person who had almost a similar story as how my son died, about the same age, a lot of things. It's wow. like, oh my goodness. And so I'm feeling myself, you know, something going on on the inside of me, but I'm like, I got to stay focused. I'm talking to myself. You got to stay focused. You know, you can handle yours after this session. So if you right. keep it together, until after this session, and then I can have my release. 
you know, call a friend, cry, whatever I need to do. And so those are the things I have to communicate to myself. But sometimes, you know, and I can feel it and I have to let them know. I may say something like, you know what? Your story is greatly impacting me. That is the truth. Now, they don't know why it's impacting right. me, but it's impacting me in multiple ways. I'm just not going to go into how, why it's impacting me because then it becomes my story instead right. of their story. So I may acknowledge that, you know, your story is impacting me in many ways. Right. And I'm just going to sit here for a moment with it and let you know that, that, you know, and so I have to have to, yeah, I'm going through that. I'm doing some mental, you know, um, gymnastics a little bit, trying to make sure I'm staying present for yeah. them, but yet trying to hold myself together. Absolutely. I, and, and so this is, and this is the human side of, you know, what you do and, and you have those moments and, you know, I, it, it takes a, a certain level of strength because, as you mentioned, you know, your son was murdered a few years back. And here you are, you know, talking to people because you also do grief counseling. So you're doing grief counseling and going through that and you're still grieving in, in different ways and working through the process yourself. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned to you before, that that is a, a, a level of strength that I don't think many people know and really understand what it takes. And, and it may not be the death of the death of a child for somebody. It could be something else that was just majorly tragic. And as a counselor, you have some of those experience, but it's good that you said you don't project your experience onto that person in that session because, you know, it, it does start to take the 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 really the the um, direction away from them and where they are and yeah. getting them help and it becomes you know kind of you guys going back and forth talking about yeah I did this and yeah we had this and, and it and now they're not getting the help that they need to get so you know I definitely commend you for that because that's that is you know that has got to be challenging to deal with that you know on a day-to-day basis and sometimes having those reminders like I know you said you get triggered around, you know, certain anniversaries of, of the experience, whether it's the birthday or, or when he passed. Um, but at the same time, you know, knowing that knowing yourself enough to know that I need to shift some things or, you know, it may not be a good day this date. I may not have anything going. It may just be my day to process things, you know. Yes. Um, so that, that's good, because, again, it's not about. Some people just like, you know, I got to make that money. You know, I got to get out there and, and get these sessions in and get it done. And you're like, no, I, I know how to adjust my schedule so that I can be fair to my clients. But also I have to be fair to myself. Um, and that's that's the way you can be strong in the process. So I definitely commend you for that. That that is that is that is great that you can do that and continue to work through it. And saying that you have the support, you have a therapist yourself. And, you know, some people think, well, that's crazy. How somebody who's a therapist have a therapist? It's like, how does a barber, somebody cuts their own hair, can cut hair? Why do they need somebody to cut hair? But, you know, well, I always equate that to a barber. There's certain blind spots that barbers can't see on their own head. So when you look at, you know, somebody that's a counselor or a therapist, you know, there are certain things that they just can't see for themselves and they need somebody else. Just that outside person who may have some understanding and, and you feel comfortable and confident with, but they can dig in there and find those little pieces and help to, you know, to shape it up the right way in the back or the blind spot. And they can help yeah. you get around that. So that that's good that, that, that you can have that. And, and that, it sounds like you said that that's something that they, they, uh, when you go through and, and you train it, they tell you, you should always have your own therapist to, to deal with what you're dealing. Cause you take on a lot of weight as a counselor. 
you take on a lot. And I think not only did they suggest it, we actually had to implement it into it. Okay. So part of that was like, do you guys have a therapist, you know, as right. you go through this program? And so, but yeah, indeed. And you don't realize it until you actually get in it. But, you know, the other part of it is, is that throughout each day, you know, I'm listening to a lot of people and what they're going through. And, you know, through that day, I'm, you know, I'm, is what I do is what I'm passionate about. And so I have the energy to do it. Mm. You don't realize, you know, if you don't have a release, you know, and being able to separate all of that, then you're carrying the weight of not just your stuff, but your client's stuff as well. And that's not helpful. That's not helpful for to them or to yourself. And so those things, having a therapist, taking, doing self-care, all those things go into me being the most effective so that I can be the most effective, you know, for my clients. Right. And it's the same, like you, I'm sure you preach that to your clients to make sure that they are doing self-care. They are taking the time off. So it's like, you've got to prescribe your your own, you got to prescribe yourself the same medicine to make sure that that you're doing the same things. Uh, But a lot of people, again, they they don't think they're like, why would I need a therapist? Why would she pay money and go through that? if she's a therapist herself, well, you know, it's it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to evaluate yourself and where you are, you know, um, just because, especially like you said, all the weight that you carry, during that session, you're hearing things that are completely confidential and people are, you know, pouring their hearts out and telling you things that they can't tell, you know, their spouse or closest person in their life and things that they've held secrets for, you know, years and years and years. And you've got to not only carry that, but you, you can't push that off somewhere else. You can't let anybody else know that that has to stay with you. So, you know, you got to be able to decompress and walk through, you know, some of those things. So, you know, having a therapist of your own, you know, that definitely makes sense because I, I know that just that work-life balance for this career it just seems like it is very, very challenging. It's doable if you have the right tools in place, but it, it, I see the challenge with that. Indeed, you have to be intentional. And I'm always thinking about if I'm encouraging other people to do something and I'm not doing it myself, then why am I in this field? You know, and so I, I do not ask of my clients anything that I would not do myself or have not done myself. Okay. That's good. That's real good. Um, You mentioned the pandemic earlier. Um, Since the pandemic has been around, have you seen, I guess a a common thread amongst some of your clients in terms of just the emotion that they're feeling from just how this whole thing is uncovered and, you know, continue, you know, being locked down and all that. Are you seeing some commonalities across some of your clients and just in general in the field of, of, you know, psychology, are you seeing some common threads there? I think one of the things, and actually my clients have talked about it is that the, the pandemic exposed or accelerated issues that were already there Mm. like they were already having issues with family members or with spouses or with themselves but the pandemic just really pulled the you know the the band-aid off Mm. basically and so it created this sense of urgency to get in and get some help right and I'm seeing a lot of that right now, things that they've dealt with and they were managed because work was a distraction. Right. You know, a lot of times when we're dealing with heavy things, work can be a distraction. And so not being able to go in and see other coworkers or just driving to and from work was a way of they 
a way of escape for these persons. Now there's not. So the issue you're dealing with is right there in front of you, you yeah. know, now 24 seven. So I think that's what has been the common thread from all my clients thus far. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, you know, my wife and I had this conversation, you know, we, we talked about our marriage and this, when we said, you know, if, if your marriage can survive through the pandemic of having to sit there and be amongst each other and you had to talk, you know, if, if you, you find out the strength of your marriage and your family, you know, especially last year when we we're on lockdown, you know, within your house, you really start to see, you know, how strong your family bonds are, you know, not saying there's not challenges, but you start to see like, are you really tired of being around that person? You know, are you tired of, you know, you finding out certain things about my kids, you know, and I, we found out different things about our kids. So it was actually good for us. Uh, we didn't have, you know, it, it helped. It was therapeutic in a way because we were forced to sit down and sort of, you know, address things head on because there was no escape around it. So uh, it, it was definitely good. But I also see some of the other parts when you're used to being social, like some of my kids are, like to be social and being locked down, you know, and having to go to school virtually. That was tough, you know, and it was tough for, even for my wife and I to a degree. It was tough because, you know, used to going into the office and having face to face. I mean, we always had a desire that we wanted to work from home. But it was on our terms, you know, it was right. wanted it to be on our terms. And it's like, you know, now we're forced to work from home and then you can't not only work from home, but you can't go to the store just normally like you wanted to. You can't go to a mall. You can't just take a break and get away and go other places because it was a lockdown. So that was definitely a challenging point. Um, but again, it taught us a lot about ourselves and and really how how to to get through things. But I can see, you know. I definitely know therapy is, is, is definitely something that's good. And you do, you do group therapy sessions too, is right. Um, I used to, I don't do as much now, Okay. but, uh, but I have done groups and um, yeah, there's something about the groups and it's so powerful just to, when you've got this, I think the synergy of having other people in a room together working mm -hmm. on things. And for, for me as a clinician to see that when there may be one person who's struggling with something in the group and then watching as the other people, you know, they've created this relationship now, you know, and they're working together right. and they're able to help one another. It's such a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah. And I've seen that in not necessarily group sessions, but just in conversations or town halls with, you know, you get people, you get somebody up there talking to maybe a higher level executive and they're having conversations and they open up the floor to say, Hey, are there any questions or concerns? And everybody's looking around at each other. And then you get one or two people start to talk and open up and share. And you get some more people starting to open up and then that synergy and everybody's like, really now they feel like it's a safe space to talk about whatever they needed to talk about. So um, you know, I know group sessions is uh, some people and, and, and when people say group sessions and it, it, it does it necessarily mean it's is it same people is different people with the same type of problem or is it just like how does the group session work? Does it have to be they related or, you know, do you bring in like how, I guess just can you explain how a group session would work normally? Oh, yeah. So it all depends on, you know, the person who's leading the group, how they structure the group. Mm -hmm. because sometimes it could be based on topic. Let's say you're doing a, a stress management group. So everyone in there, right, is more of a heterogeneous type mix. Mm -hmm. So people come from different backgrounds, could be men, it could be women right? Um, as well. It, or the group could be set up that they meet for six weeks or it could be a group that meets ongoing. So people can come in and out of it at different points. So it could be that way, or it could be 
a group where it's specific, where this group is for, you know, female uh, age 13 to 14 years old that mm -hmm. have one sibling that attend this school or these schools in this community. So it all depends on the focus and kind of how the facilitator uh, designs the group. Okay. Yeah, and I, I guess you start thinking about like alcoholic and non, alcoholic anonymous and things like that that you have people lead, and I guess it's kind of a topical based thing where everybody's there for a program. You have usually somebody who's a counselor or something that leads it uh, most times. So I guess it's in a similar fashion. Would that yeah. be correct? Okay, that is correct. And then sometimes they have substance abuse uh, treatment programs where it doesn't matter you know, what type of substance that you use, just as long as it's a substance, but then there are certain programs that they are specific to the type of substance. That is absolutely correct. Okay. So, you know, doing what you do, you said there's a, a certain amount of excitement. How does it make you feel when you know that you've unlocked something for one of your clients? Like you have that light bulb going off that aha moment. Like, how does that make you feel when that happens? Oh, I'm so ecstatic because not sometimes I I may see the see the situation or the pattern before they do. I mm -hmm. see the the uh, the barriers or the block or the stuck points before they do. But when they get it, oh my goodness, I'm ecstatic. You know, it's almost like um, a proud parent. Not not saying that we have this parent child dynamic, right. but it's just that how you feel to know that someone else that you've been working with are guiding or even a coach feels when someone achieves their goal um, that you, you, they got it and they figured it out, but you were there to help God. I see my role as a guide along this process because a okay. lot of times we have the skills or we, we have the capability, I should say that way, and the capacity to really solve our own problems. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's hard because one, we've not been trained to do so, or two, you know, we need to think outside of the box. And so having a, per a person who's not involved in your everyday life, who has more of an objective eyes on the situation kind of helps promote that growth. Yeah. And so I, I feel, yeah, I'm so encouraged and excited for them. I share my excitement. I, I provide praise to them because it's a huge accomplishment when you get to a place where you can identify what has hindered you as far as your thinking or your feeling, or even an event in your life, and, and you can tie it all together. Oh my goodness, that's such a wonderful thing to win. Yeah, and and you you said something that I think is very good because you said that you know through the process sometimes you see the the thing that that's bothering them or that's challenging them ahead of time, but you don't try to expedite it, you know, and call it out and say this is what it is and get them moved on because. I think there's some, you know, there, there's some strength to letting them find out and discover where that issue is. And then once they discover it, now they'll be like, okay, they're more receptive, even though you've seen it and you're like, okay, I know this is where it's going, but you're still allowing them to get it out and not, you know, not shorting them out of their chance to vent and then get it out. And then once they get it all out, it's like, okay, now I see it. And you're like, yes, you know, but they don't know that, you know, you know, they don't know that you're that you're you're kind of there and you're not pulling them through the process. You're just like you said, coaching them on and just walking them through it. So yeah. I think that's a good thing because, you know, it, it would be easy to just say, oh, I know what this problem is and I can solve it right now and tell you this, this, this and this. But the person may still be you know, left feeling kind of empty because they didn't get a chance to really talk through it. You know, you go straight from I'm giving you a problem statement. Here's the solution. But there's no in between you know, of how I got there. So that way, if something comes up like that again, 
I'll know how to walk through that process, you know, and that, that comes from kind of that engineering thing. You can't just, you know, you can't just, you know, put an answer on a paper. When you take a test, you can't just write the answer down without showing your work. You've got to have the work there. So, uh, okay, that's good. So, you know, what advice would you give someone who, you know, is interested in looking, looking into this field of work, you know, and, and, you know, maybe they're already in a career, maybe in a similar situation to you or, they're getting ready to make a decision about what they want to do and study in school. Like what advice would you give somebody in terms of starting off in this, in this path? Oh yes. I think this is a wonderful field to start off in. I would tell the person, don't just stop, even though you can stop at a master's level, but if you have the desire, you know, go ahead on to a PhD level. Of course it takes more time, more investment of your time, but I think we do need more clinicians at that level. Um, one of the things is that a lot of people worry about cost of education. There are grants out there, mm. there are programs out there to help fund, especially those uh, in counseling or psychology fields, because a lot of times what people don't realize that it is considered a soft science. So a lot of the STEM monies, uh, the money towards the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, um, some of those programs also allow for um counseling or psychology really? and if you're a person of it of color or a person in a minority status there are a lot of funding out there to help because we know that there is a inequity um regarding persons of color in the field i think um there is a program that was awarded to several hbcus even for the perspective of primary care physicians, especially during this pandemic, because mm. people wanted to go to persons that they trust right. and that look like them. And so there's funding out there now to try to get more people of color into these different fields, medical fields, which includes okay psychology as well. So uh, one of the things you can do, you can, uh, you can Google or look up uh, programs or schools to have psychology or counseling programs. Okay. A lot of the programs offer, especially PhD, many of them offer where you can do a grad assistantship as well as master's program where you teach and they pay your tuition plus, you know, uh, give you a stipend. So okay. don't let finances be a, a factor um, because it's needed. And now there's so many programs out there. You can be very specific if you want to be an overall general practitioner, but there's some people that specialize in Christian counseling, or if they mm. want to focus on, you know, addiction counseling, or uh, do more of assessments. So there's so many different fields out there, neuropsychology or neuropsychologists, you know, you want to work with people that have had brain injuries. And mm. so th there's so many options out there. And just ask, um, just ask and, okay. and yeah, I think, you know, the, the financial part, everybody, when they hear about people wanting to become or going to, you know, medical field and anything in where you need to become a doctor, you know, cost is always the first thing that comes up. It's the time to, to study for it. And then the cost. Uh, cost is usually the biggest one. Um, and I think just the information that you shared that there are grants out there available and, and, you know, taking advantage, but there is, there's a lot of money that's usually out there for programs like that. And like I said, especially in these times where, 
you know, we really need, you know, going through pandemic, you're going through all the, you know, different social economic issues, racial issues, just, you know, things that are happening in a political field and just causing just overall impact to er people's everyday lives. Um, you know, there is a need, a strong need for, you know, counselors out there. So um, that, that's definitely good information. And hopefully people will, will take advantage of that and, and that are interested in going into that field. Um, one question I have for you, and, and this is more lines of, you know, getting somebody who is resistant, but, you know, they're, they, you know, that they need counseling, um, you know, let's just say a situation where you have a friend or family member and that everybody's trying to say, Hey, they need, they've been dealing with things for decades. They just can't let go. Um, and it's, it's been weighing them down and it's starting to weigh on the people around them. Uh, but that you you suggest counseling, but they just like, eh, you know, I really don't need it. I'm good. You know, they always have that. I'm good. You know, I've been dealing with it for this long. I don't need any help. How do you how do you help a person or help a group of people get that person, you know, at least to try out counseling to get because I know it's going to take them to want to do it. You can't really force it. But, you know, what are some tools or tips that, you know, you can possibly give people to help because I think a lot of people are still, they have that stigma of not wanting to go because again, it's that I don't want to tell other people my problems and, you know, make, make light yeah. of, or put things out in the light that, that, you know, about the family potentially or things like that. But, you know, how, how do you, how do you, you know, what are some things that you can say that that can possibly some ideas of things to try, you know, nothing's guaranteed, but at least, you know, some things that, that other people may consider that, you know, they may not have thought of before. Yes, and that's happened. I know a couple of things that come to mind is that, um, especially if there are minor children and the kids may be resistant, mm -hmm. one thing is that I would invite the entire family to come in and the focus of therapy would be to discover what are the challenges in the family and, uh, and let each person share their perspective about what the family needs to do differently or how what they're doing is impacting the family negatively and positively, mm -hmm. because then it takes the pressure off the person that you kind of identify that should be the client. So right. that's one way. Another way, if you're thinking about adults, you know, that I think that same philosophy could work. So if a spouse thinks another spouse needs to come in, come in as a couple mm. and say, you know, our relationship is struggling and we're trying to figure, I'm trying to figure this out. I don't know what to do because then you're taking the focus off the individual person and you're talking about the relationship. And that's what the other people, you know, if you've got a, a, a siblings, you know, five or six siblings and parents and, and they're worried about one person, well, it's impacting them as well. Right. So, but if you could come in as a family or a group or a couple or a parent and a child, whatever, and say, how can we make our relationship better? The therapist is skilled enough to figure out, you know, how do we pull out something from everybody? So then that one person is not singled out. Okay. They may be more engaged then because now they're saying, oh, everybody's got issues, right? Right. And right. then they may say, you know what? I may want my own therapist, <laughs> whatever. And so- right because they're starting to see. And I think that's one approach that has worked uh, with some clients that I had that were initially resisted on their own, but when they came in as a family or group, they were able to make progress. Okay. That's good. That's good. Cause yeah, that, that's always, and I've, I've heard people say that before. They're like, yeah, I want to go to therapy or I want to do this, but I'm afraid, or, you know, I don't, I, I want this person to go, but 
you know, I don't want, they're not going to go by themselves or this group is not going to go by themselves. There's an issue with families. And, you know, I see, a, you see it all the time on TV and, you know, you yes. see uh, Yana Van Zant and, you know, the, the shows where she's bringing people on and, you know, you got one person who's resisting. It's almost like it's intervention in a way. Um, but you start dealing with, you find out that it's not just the one person. It's, it's a collective group of, you know, the issues that, everybody has and it, it starts to come out and then it becomes really a group session outside of just that individual person the focus on that person so that's good that's good that's good information on that so i want to i want to wrap up here um but i do want to ask a couple of things you know obviously you know you provide a service um and you have a company uh, your own business so what services do you provide Yes. So I'm actually really focusing more on the grief coaching right now. Okay. And so as a grief coach, I really help people transition from loss and help them move forward uh, to them accomplishing their goals. Now, what happens is that a lot of people don't realize that they have grief in their life. And so a lot of times people, when they've experienced a traumatic loss, especially, they become stuck. Mm-hmm. And so and a lot of times they're not able to accomplish goals, their relationships suffer, and even their own sense of self suffers. And so I kind of work with them to help them, you know, attain that life or lifestyle that they're wanting, but, but has been, I guess, hindered because of the stuck points that they've had because of the losses that they've endured. Okay. And and now, you know, this, and, and I may know the answer to this, but I want to ask it because I think a lot of people always view grief as, you know, a loss of life. And is that focus more on the loss of life grief, or is it just grief of any loss, you know, loss of grief. a job, loss of just general grief? General grief. I mean, people are grieving now because of the pandemic right. as well. So yes. So that's any, I work with any type of grief. You know, I've also worked with couples because sometimes they're grieving their relationship because mm. one of us, either of them or both of them realize the relationship is not where they want it to be. So they're grieving what it used to be. It kind of right. what it is now, you know, and work with individual persons or parents and kids relationships. They may be grieving that as well. So, you know, uh, even though that may be the focus of the topic, but I do work with individuals. I work with family members. I do not work with minor children. So I only work with adults at this time. Okay. But it, I mean, I think it's good to, to clarify that it's not just grief from a loss of a life. And I think a lot of people look at grief as that they associate, well, it's a grief counselor, you know, when something happens in a school and a schoolmate dies and they bring in grief counselors and everybody always associates it. It has to be, or it's always around death. Um, and that's not the case. Like you said, it's, it's loss. It's loss of something that happened in the past. You know, it could be grieving, you know, a lifestyle that you live once and things change. I mean, it can be a lot of different things. So that, that's good. Expectations, you know, you, mm. you thought at this age you would be here and you're not. Mm. So that, that can be a whole different we can do a whole different conversation about just grief in itself. Cause I think a lot of people, again, even myself in, until recently, I, I always view grief as just, you know, the loss of life, but there are so many things that we probably grieve with every day that we have no idea that we're grieving. And, you know, once you start thinking of it that way of any loss or any major change or that, that the difference, you feel like you've taken a step back or you've gone down from where you were before, 
um, you know, people are grieving it. I mean, it can be something as, as, you know, from a, your body, like my body, I used to be yeah. nice and trim and slim. And now, you know, I'm not so much. And, you know, people deal with grief in that, you know, trying to get back to that place where they were, you know, once before. So that's, that's good. That's definitely good to hear about that. Um, I guess last thing, you know, how do we get in, how does somebody get in touch with you for your services? Yes. So right now, typically you can, the easiest way is to follow me on Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Dr. Tanya McCoy. Okay. Dr. Tanya McCoy. I also have a website, a new you counseling and that's a N E W Y O U C C.com. And in that on the website, a person can schedule consultations. And it also has my phone number there if they need to schedule consultations. But, um, one of the ways too is, of course, is the social media. I do provide some encouragement and some motivational things as well as I post several different things related to grief, uh, working through loss as well. But those are the methods and the manners that you can get in contact with me. Okay. And I'll make sure that is going to be um, part of the, the notes for the podcast episode. So, you know, listeners will be able to just go in there and click and, and get directly to you because uh, I, I know that you have a lot to offer and, you know, definitely passionate about what you do. And I think, you know, dealing with grief in general, you have a strength that a lot of people just don't realize that that's there. So um, you definitely have a knack for that. And I, I appreciate, you know, what you do because, you know, it, it, sometimes therapists get overlooked, um, especially in our community for the importance of what they bring, uh, similar to a teacher, you know, you know, they get overlooked and, and, and some people don't feel, see the need for certain things and why do you need that role? But you know, we're starting to discover more and more as, you know, through the pandemic and just other things that it's necessary, you know, it's very necessary to, to help people um, to get through, you know, just be able to cope with life and not just cope with life, but get from, you know, just surviving and just existing to actually living life. Um, and again, for me, that's, that's more of what the purpose of this podcast is for is, is being able to live life to the fullest and, and, you know, mental health is, is very much a key to that. So I appreciate you for your time, Dr. McCoy. Is there any last words you want to share before we sign off? Oh, no. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I enjoyed talking with you today. Hopefully there was something said that your listeners can be encouraged by and get some understanding of. And also, you know, your mental health is your health, right? Mental health is health. And so when you think about your overall, if you ask yourself a question, how am I doing? Don't just think about physically, think about mentally and emotionally as well. Mm, good nugget to end with. So there you have it, Dr. McCoy. We thank you so much. Dr. Tanya McCoy, we, we thank you so much for joining us on the podcast um, and look forward to having you back on again someday to continue to talk through some of these things that a lot of people don't realize that therapists can help unlock. So uh, we appreciate your time and you have a blessed day. Thank you. And you too. Well, everybody, that wraps up another episode of the Airflow podcast. I want to thank our special guest, Dr. Tanya McCoy, for coming in and joining us um, and sharing all the information that she shared. Uh, she really was dropping some jewels just about, you know, mental health and, and really sharing the, the some of the journey that she took. Um, you know, I always commend her about her strength because as a parent, I can't imagine losing, you know, a child and, and, you know, losing her son and also her son has a, has a son and, you know, having to really deal with that 
and still come as come to her her profession, her job as a as a counselor and be able to balance that out. Um, and as you heard her say, as a counselor, she needs counseling. She has a team around her um, of professionals that help keep her grounded, help he, keep the weight off of her so that she can do what she's gifted to do. And that says a lot, you know, to, you know, so it, it's, it tells me that, you know, she's, she's definitely locked in to help and, and help people and coach people through, um, parts of their life where they may be stuck or there's darkness and help bring light to that, those situations and, and walk them through and be, you know, a guide and, and, a, and, a you know, a source of light for them through those times. So, I just want to commend her. I want to thank her for the work that she continues to do. Um, and I just want to make sure that everybody understands that if, if you are interested in services uh, from Dr. Tanya McCoy and the New You Counseling Center, you can reach her at a newucc.com. That's A-N-E-W-Y-O-U-C-C.com. Um, you can sign up there. Um, she has everything listed there in terms of how you can contact her. Uh, the different services that she offers. If you want to do an appointment request, um, if you have anything for consulting or speaking requests, she does those as well. Um, and, and the cool thing about it, uh, especially with technology, is she offers telecounseling, uh, which means you can reach her and you can have your sessions virtually um, through video conferencing. Um, so, you know, in those situations is really important, especially with COVID. And, you know, some people are uneasy about meeting uh, in person and, and having those conversations and just wanting to make sure that they're social distancing. And with that, that's fine. Um, and I think that keeps you in a safe environment. Um, you choose the environment that you're comfortable in and, and she'll be in her comfortable environment and, and you, we can, and you guys can talk and have those conversations and really start to unload and, and, you know, navigate whatever it is that's challenging you. You can also reach her um, on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Tanya McCoy. That's the at symbol D-R-T-O-N-Y-A-M-C-K-O-Y. That's at Dr. Tanya McCoy. Um, and she shares information there. She also has, you know, different events and things that she has going on if you want to follow her there. Um, but I, I just, you know, again, I, I want to encourage everybody to you know, take the opportunity, you know, go, even if it's a few times, even if it's once or twice, just go and, and do some sessions, find out, you'll, you'll find out there's always something that can, that, that may be there. You're just, you've been dealing with it for so long and it's not healthy to do that. And it may be hindering you from achieving and living your best life. And so, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the biggest thing that, that I wanted to do when I brought her on is just make sure that listeners understood that, you know, again, my desire is for everybody to be as an heir, to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And, and, and that's always to be prosperous in everything. And your mental health is part of your prosperity. Thus the title of this episode is mental wealth, because you can't talk about gaining and building wealth. You can't talk about prosperity. You can't have a, a, a spiritual growth and prosperity. If, if you're blocked mentally, you know, one of the places that the enemy attacks you is in your mind and he will have you thinking things that are not true to keep you from being able to walk in faith. So some of that is wrapped up in past experiences. Some of that is wrapped up in, 
things that were done to you that you didn't really realize affected you until until, you know, you start to see certain things bubble up. And this is what a counselor can do, can help you with. Um, and it, there's no shame. You're not crazy. You know, we have to stop this this narrative, you know, around the church community and the black community that going to seek counseling is is it makes you crazy. It means that there's something wrong with you. You've got to screw loose. That's not the case. You're going there to make sure that everything is good. And I think that's important to do. And that's important to say, especially in this day and age with the pandemic and just everything that's going on. People are looking at lives different, looking at their lives differently. And, and a lot of people aren't living. They're just existing. They're surviving. They're getting by day by day. And as an heir, that's not what you were created to do. You were created to live life to the fullest. And, and that's where I want to make sure that that information is shared just as much as making sure that your physical, your your financial health, your spiritual health is where it needs to be. So. Again, as an heir, you were created to flow, and that is in everything, and I want you to flow mentally. So again, my name is Ricky Thomas, and I thank you for listening to this episode of the Airflow Podcast. We'll talk to you later. Mm-hmm.